Smoking and toasting. We are show number 126 this week. It's Valentine's Day. I am appropriately dressed in Valentine's Day colors, or at least, well, actually, this was the closest thing I had to a red shirt. I don't know if it's red, really. Um, but uh, I, I didn't even. But you think are not. About you're, it. you're not even close. To I being do. In. I do have this though. Yeah, I, I love that. See, that's good. So that's good. So it's funny because uh, you gave me one for Christmas that I wore. Yes. a while back. And, and that's a different one, isn't this, it? Yes. Uh, at the same time, my wife got me this one. <laughs> so you got two shirts for apparently, Christmas. That apparently, said the same thing. I smoke cigars and no things. Uh, but yes, but the font is different, isn't it? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. So the the same. one you gave me has has more like the um, uh, Game of Thrones font going on. Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, well, so. well, welcome to show number one hundred and twenty six of Smoking and Toasting. We are all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand rolled cigars. Um, it's February fourteenth, Valentine's Day, and I'm going to sneeze. Excuse ah, me, I knew I was going to sneeze, and uh, I could feel it coming. And sometimes, that's just you know, that's just a live show. <laughs> You're going to get a sneeze, and I apologize. <laughs> Fortunately, I didn't sneeze Words on anybody. Uh, we are brought to you by B and B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston, and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. Welcome to the show. Welcome to a fine week, Ian. We had, and this is going to be, this is going to basically make up the final segment on the show today. It's going to be a very long final segment but i thought if we put this at the very end then people who've already seen this you know they'll know uh, okay they, they've yeah, they can they, they, listen but, to the show and then but on, out there on and watch it again. sunday this last sunday you and i got to come in and adam and sit down with um a couple of the guys from glenn morangy and oh, man. taste Dr. their Bill new spirit oh my Dan god Crowell, man yeah. those guys were so fun they're, they're just great guys it, it was fun listening to the uh the Scottish accent yes. of uh, of, Dan, of uh, Bill, Doctor Bill Lumsford, um, and just talking about the whole process. You know the uh, the the way that they go about making these special spirits, these special whiskeys, and uh, and then getting to taste the new one. Um, really, really an amazing experience. So that will be our final segment today: is tasting some Glenmorangie. So it'll be perfect for uh, for Valentine's Day. And that did that did go out on Sunday. So if you've seen it before, right. we're putting it at the end. You can yeah, you, you can, can skip that or watch it twice, which is yeah, awesome. Whatever um, whatever works for you. Yeah, we so. had we had a blast with that. We really did. And I got to tell you, um, I mean, the spirit, the the whiskey was just amazing. I. I, I can still taste it, actually. So so you'll get to see us uh, do a little tasting of that. Plus, a lot of cool things on the show today. We're going to be tasting a Connecticut Valley Brewing Certus New England-style IPA from Windsor, Connecticut. Victory Brewing's Golden Monkey, their Belgian-style triple with spices. And I have a whole Golden Monkey story that I have to share with you, Ian. Uh, and then uh, our friends here in Houston at Carbock have released a chocolate stout seasonal that I'm very anxious to no, taste. No, I heard about that. We, I haven't yeah, seen it yet. We haven't tasted it, but uh, but we'll be was, tasting it. I was it, talking so. to Alan Denny about that. He was asking me, he's like, have you tried this yet? I just picked some up. I was like, I haven't tried if, it yet. If we have time, we'll also do a little rum tasting uh, on the show, but but definitely we'll be getting uh, to the Glen Morangy. So we have that to look, uh, to look forward to. Good news and bad news. The good news is senators are pushing to end the embargo with Cuba, and they might actually be able to pull it off. Bad news. Beverly Hills, California, is trying to ban sales of all tobacco products in Beverly Hills. 
Now, you could just say, if you live in California, well, I'll just buy my tobacco somewhere else. Beverly Hills is not that big. But this would mean an end for one of the finest and most iconic cigar lounges in the United States, where you and I have done a show live, which is the Buena Vista Cigar Club. They're uh, in Beverly Hills, you know, right in the middle of it. It's unbelievable that people who smoke have absolutely no rights whatsoever. Well, that's right. And and this is now. I don't want to get like way, you know, way out on some weird political thing here. But let me just say this: I'm actually for the legalization of marijuana. I'm not a pot smoker. I have tons of friends who are. Um, I'm not a pot smoker myself. Uh, I have nothing against it. It just. It never was the, a thing for me one way or the other. But I totally feel like it should be decriminalized and made legal. It only makes sense. It could be a huge industry for um, for our whole economy. Yep. Look at what it's done for the state of Colorado just since they yeah. legalized it. But in California, in Los Angeles, in Beverly Hills, it is legal to buy pot. So what's amazing is you can smoke pot. Right, but you can't smoke anything else. Right, you can't smoke a cigar, but you can smoke, you you can buy a a whole canister of sativa, like high grade marijuana, but you can't buy a cigar. A cigar, if if this legislation goes through. Now you can walk down the street, and you can have pot in a in a vape. You can have pot. You smoke yeah. it. No one's gonna care. Right. Don't smoke a cigar. But don't smoke a cigar, or you may wind up in jail. If this proposal passes, Beverly Hills will become the first city in the in the United States to outright ban the sale of all tobacco products. In addition, there are more than thirty tobacco retailers that are located in Beverly Hills that would be uh, affected, including the shop that we yeah. just mentioned and the Grand Havana Room, which is a famous and private cigar lounge. Private. And yet you'd have to buy your tobacco somewhere else. So think about this. If you're one of these shops, I mean, admittedly, they sell other things. But if but they can't keep their smoking license uh, unless a certain percentage of their sales comes from tobacco Which means products, these shops go under. Which means these shops go under. That's right. Like, what is their justification? Like, well, unbelievable. If you have a club, if you have a club where you have your, your uh, smoke, eaters and everything like that and everyone who goes in there knows mm-hmm. they're going into a cigar shop they're okay with going into they're putting themselves in that situation so you can't even say that well this is damaging other people it's unbelievable how they can justify well that yes uh beverly hills mayor julian gold and vice mayor john mirish i think i'm pronouncing the name right uh, proposed this idea during a city council study session on tuesday night the legislation has not been introduced yet, but Mirish, who is set to take over as mayor in March, whenever Gold's term is over, says he wants to have a measure on the books in three months. So just, why? Because, well, look, my I question, love, my literally, my question is why. I love California, but let's face it, California is filled with people who are reactionary to the max about things like this. So they're like, we got to show people the dangers of smoking. So let's ban it's just it's just uh it's political correctness taken to a really ridiculous place. Is what it is. Unbelievable. I'm uh, I mean, 
we live in a day and age where not only can you not buy tobacco soon in Beverly Hills if all of this passes, but you're able to know what's in your Bud Light at any given moment because now there's an ingredients label on the box. There is an ingredients label on the box? Well, except there's not. Remember I checked last week? Well, there's supposed week? to be an ingredient. But see, remember at the beginning of this month. Yes. I mean, it was supposed to be. It was supposed to drop, uh-huh. I think, the day after the Super Bowl, right? That's right. Uh, well, it was supposed to come in February. Yeah, yes. it was supposed to be February 1st. There was supposed to be a, a, a that was the deadline to where mm-hmm. we're going to have this, this, this ingredients label, which is going to make everybody understand what is in Bud Light. What do you think would be in beer? I mean, uh, they did that whole they did that whole campaign about the corn syrup thing, yes. which is by the way, like it's funny, not because the campaign is funny. By the way, I'm calling my favorite specs to see if uh, the oh the, this is awesome yeah, yeah so we'll have to see this is the baby specs uh, on. Uh, uh, memorial, so it's so tiny and cute. Yes, I love that baby spec. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Hi, uh, it's Cruz and Ian. You're on the Smoking and Toasting show, and we were wondering if we could talk to you for just a moment, and if you would be willing to check something for us. Can you do that? I cannot hear you. Oh well, is this any better? <laughs> I'm sorry. Is this any better? A little bit. A little bit. Uh, try we- again. Uh, we were just asking if you could check for something for us. Yeah, what's it called? Could could you check the Bud Light that's in your cooler and see if there's an ingredient label on the box or the uh, like the 12-pack box? For Bud Light? For Bud Light, yes. It's supposed to be there, they said, in February, but we haven't seen one yet. We were wondering if you could check, and if, if, if it's there, if you could bring it to the phone so you could tell us what the ingredients are. Oh, I know what you're talking about. You yeah. They're supposed to. They're supposed to. So, is it supposed to be on the twelve packs or the six packs? I think. Well, I know it's supposed to be on the twelve packs. packs. I don't know if they're putting yeah. it on the six packs or not. I'll check all of them. Let me see. Okay. If I can. We really appreciate it. This is very helpful no to the show. So, uh, as as you know, this is supposed to yeah, have happened. Supposed to happen right? in February, right? So, like I was saying, uh, that whole corn syrup yeah. thing was unbelievable. Yes. Yeah, the Bud Lights we have, they do not have the nutritional facts on them yet. Okay, well, we sure appreciate you checking, and thank you so much. We love your store. Anytime, sir, anytime. Your store is awesome. I've shopped there uh, hundreds of times. Thank you. All right, all right. So uh, so this raises, uh, to me, a question that may be more pertinent than uh, than what the ingredients in the beer are. And that is, and by the way, how'd you like my low-tech phone? That was up? amazing. Was that great? <laughs> <laughs> we could have gone through the trouble and set up a phone line, yeah. but you know what? No, no. Speakerphone's fine. Why do that? Why do that? So this raises to me a more important question than that of what's in the Bud Light, which is how old is this Bud Light that they're still shipping to the stores? If they started their new uh, ingredients label in February, and we have cases sitting in the store, today's February 14th, half a month later, like when was this beer made? And Bud Light's There's supposed that. Bud Light's supposed to be like priding themselves on their beer. Are they freshness. the ones that had the born on date? Is I think that, they did. I think that was, was that, that Bud the, Light. I, 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 you I know, forget. they all blur together, so it it's hard to tell. It was a pretty ineffective ad campaign. So yeah, so I don't know the uh, Miller Bud Coors, I don't whatever. Know for sure. So, well, at least now we know. At well, least now we know. So the question is then, what is in Bud Light? Well, I'm, if the, now they don't put out the label, we don't know. I'm going to venture a guess, and you can check me when the. Ingredients label finally does show up. 
I'm going to say this. One of the ingredients is going to be dilly dilly. <laughs> yeah, I had to put that out there. You know, Brian, who was in the comments on our uh, on our uh, Facebook feed uh, last week, I believe it was Brian. Uh, it was either Brian or someone that was conversing with Brian on the comments, said that dilly dilly was apparently taken from two words, delicious and something else. Delightful. Delicious, delightful. Delightful. Thank you, Adam. Delightful and something else was where dilly dilly came from. That's too funny. As a as a phrase, not not necessarily related to uh, to Bud Light. So, uh, okay. Well, now that we have uh, failed to clear up that mystery, I suppose it's a uh, <laughs> I suppose it's a good time, Ian, for me to ask you a question that I enjoy asking you around this time on the show every week, and that is, have you smoked anything interesting lately? The answer to that question, sir. Yes. Is yes. Oh, good. See, I knew I, I knew I could count I have. on you. I knew I could. Of on course, you. I have. Let me pull up my notes here. Mm-hmm. I don't need to actually. I bet you're using the same high tech device that I used to call the specs. Just I now. am. I am in lo-fi <laughs> and everything. Yeah. So I did my normal. I went over to Casa de Monte Cristo and sat down with a cigar, and I uh, like right before the show. You right did before, this, the, yeah. yeah I, I, you know, I find that that's just a nice time. It's a nice little lounge to go in there uh-huh. and and. And I can sit down and concentrate on what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. So I asked uh, one of the guys up there, said, hey, what's new and awesome? And he pointed me out a Brick House Double Connecticut. Oh, nice. Maybe it's brand new. Apparently. I don't think I have, no. Apparently I like Brick House. But, yeah, it's uh, pretty brand new. And i got to tell you, I've never been disappointed with a Brick House cigar. Okay. Like the Maduro and the... And they're just fantastic. They're mighty, mighty. So this was a short torpedo. It's a, a five and a half by 52 uh, torpedo. So, of course, it didn't punch it. Mm-hmm. I uh, clipped the end. Uh, Connecticut wrapper, broadleaf Connecticut uh, binder, uh, grown right here in the U.S., Nicaraguan filler. Um, it's uh, kind of a light brown, uh, pretty cigar. It looks just it looks like a cigar, you know? I mean, it's just a light brown cigar. <laughs> I, like, um, I like cigars that look like cigars. Yeah, they're, just, they're this, is, this is this classic look like a cigar. Now, it has two, uh, it has two um, uh, 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 labels on it, though. It has the, uh, the, it has the brick house label on it mm-hmm. and then it has a little footer on it that says connecticut oh nice there was uh, it looked really nice too and the little footer was a like a usa flag thing uh should be a picture coming up at some point in time um so uh the the unusual thing about this it had kind of a soft feel to it you know some cigars are real firm this is actually mm-hmm. kind of a soft feel overall kind of spongy huh yeah a little bit spongy uh slightly oily um smooth overall with some veins it was it was just very cigar looking cigar it's nice um <laughs> Uh, the soft was a little weird because a lot of times when I get a soft cigar, I feel like the construction is going to be a little weird. The burn is going to be, be too lower. loose. The burn will be off. Yeah, or it'll burn too fast. You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. The pre-light sniff on this was earthy. Lots of toast, nutty kind of flavors, barnyard, woody kind of uh, smells going on. The pre-light draw was earthy uh, toast. I got a little hint of mint, which I thought was a little mint strange. Is yeah, interesting. But yeah. but interesting. You know, not pleasant not, though, right? Yeah, yeah, pleasant. Just just like a. Light hint of it, very nutty, very cedar um, um, smelling thing. I, I got a little kind of macadamia and fresh hay on the nose. Uh, the initial light of this was very white pepper right up front, um, big, like mm-hmm. big white pepper up front. Lots of toast, nutty flavor, cedar, big silky smoke. Uh, I love that in a cigar, you know. Uh, as it settled down into the first third of the cigar, creamy pepper, earth, leather, cedar. Lots of nutty. I mean, it was actually a pretty complex cigar overall. Lots yeah. of nutty flavors. Still had that hint of mint in there. Had a solid ash. Um, really nice. Did not fall on me. 
Good to know. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> I've had a rash of that recently. <laughs> yes, you have. The second third of this, the pepper uh, kind of moved to the back of the palate. The creaminess of cedar ramped up towards the front. Uh, still had a little of that underlying mint flavor. Nice, solid ash. Uh, the third third of this, it just became a nutty and toasty bomb. With nice. lots of cedar. It was so good. Um, I finished this cigar. Uh, it's still a little bit of pepper in the background, but I finished this cigar um, and uh, and and was thinking I should probably pick up another couple before I walk out oh, of here. Oh, nice. like, see, that's, that's, that's a good recommendation the, right there. The burn was perfect on this thing. I never tended it once. I mean, the whole thing just smoked great, even as soft as the cigar was. Um, and you might even be able to see in the, uh, in the second picture up uh, that uh, – that there were indentations from where I was holding it with my fingers. Oh, like, interesting! Yeah, we, yeah, <laughs> you know, because it's just wow. you know, um, uh, this uh, this uh, cigar cost me six dollars and forty cents. Not bad. Not bad. Solid six. Wow, nice. Well, it's you almost know. a lawnmower at that point. <laughs> and um, <laughs> right when you when you get a cigar at that price point, and it. And it's performs that good. reasonably yeah. well. You got to get pretty excited. Yeah, yeah. and I, I ended up talking to the guys on my way out about it. And like, oh, which one did you have? And I said, well, he recommended the double uh, Connecticut, and even one of the other guys, oh, that's a good cigar. That's yeah. you know, like we so, talked about it, the construction. He said the construction. He's never had an issue with it. I, I, my experience was awesome. I'll be buying some more of those. Well, I must say, I'm really, really pleased that you had no issues with the construction. No issues is awesome in your cigar. Because I cannot see now, the sense. Now, I saw a picture you posted. Yes. So tell me what happened. Well, Because that thing looks right. like a train wreck. All right. Well, let me just start by saying <coughs> we've been a little tough on Gurkha lately. Yeah. So I thought I'd give one of their more recent cigars a shot, smoke it, and talk about it on the show. Because I thought, you know, things, uh, you know, we have surmised that things are getting better terms of the quality of, mm-hmm. of Gurkha and their construction. Um, so I had acquired the Gurkha Assassin, a beautiful torpedo. Dark and brown. it's called Assassin. Yeah, it's called the Assassin. Dark brown, nicely tapered to the torpedo uh, tip. It's a Brazilian wrapper with Dominican uh, uh, tobacco oh, inside. They're so brown. They're yeah. so dark. They're Just, almost, yeah, it, almost it, black. It's a beautiful, yeah. beautiful cigar. Uh, the pre-light on it was earthy and rich. Smelled like it was going to be a bit of a powerhouse, to be honest with you, uh, on the on the pre-light. So I snipped the end with my cigar scissors. It was a, a, a torpedo, so no uh, no punch. Um, lit it with a torch. There was a nice blast of pepper from that first half inch. Some earthy flavors, espresso, wood, some spice. None of this sounds bad at all. A decent complexity of flavors. I will say it wasn't as intense as I was expecting from the Gherkins pre-light. Gherkins live in the mild right. to medium right. yeah, a lot I, of times. Yeah, I was, I was kind of expecting from that pre-light and from that first burst of pepper that it would be a little more a little more full, a little more intense. About a half an inch in, the burn started to get a little bit crooked. That and, quickly. And then... All hell broke loose. The wrapper started to crack, uh, and it kept on cracking as the cigar burned. Like, it wasn't just a crack in the wrapper. You know how sometimes you'll be smoking a cigar, it'll, it'll get a little bit of a crack in the wrapper, and you can kind of nurse it past that, and it be okay? This one just fell apart on me. Oh, my gosh. It literally kept on cracking as the cigar burned. I tried being very careful on the draw. But it just kept getting worse and worse. So I finally did something that 
I, I almost never do. Abandon the cigar at the halfway point. Just like just abandoned. It wasn't worth it anymore. Uh, the wrapper was uh, cracking. It was just more trouble than it was worth. The flavors were great, maybe not as intense as I was hoping, but the construction was just bad. Bad. That that picture is just a tragedy. It's a thousand, it's yeah. You know, and it's funny because when we did our show just a few weeks back at the um, Casa de Monte Cristo, yes, you had um, a, one of the cigars you went and picked out was a was a Gurkha, and mm-hmm. I had some issues with it, and we yes. talked about it. You know, I, I like, remember the flavors are great, and I remember the construction our guests, sucks. Our guests from Garrison Brothers like, "Whoa, I'm glad I'm not Gurkha," <laughs> and it wasn't like we were just trashing it necessarily. We were even kind of went out of our way to say, "Look." We've I want to say this, Gurkha, that, that last picture is so tragic, yeah. by the way, I can't believe that. Uh, the uh, Gurkha is one of the cigars that really helped me get into cigars. Yeah. Because they live in the mild to medium, and if yes. you're going to be uh, you know, a beginning and you're starting to explore this, that's a great place to go. They got all, The beauty and flavors. the beast of those two cigars, absolutely. I've had some wonderful Yeah, ones. absolutely, and I'm amazed at how bad the construction has been on those things. Come on, Gurkha, step it up. Here's the deal. I want to be a fan, but you're not letting me. The Gurkha Assassin. An eight to nine dollar stick. Unbelievable. Price to quality. Two. Two. That and it only gets the two because of the fact that there were some really enjoyable flavors in it before I had to abandon it. Worst rating I've ever given a cigar on this show. That might be the worst rating on the show. A two. Uh, anyone who's uh, just joining in, our price to quality index works this way. We have a one to ten scale. Number five is you get exactly what you pay for. Right. So you rated your cigar a six, right. which means at six dollars and forty cents, I had a great cigar. It was worth more than what I paid. I'd have so, been happy paying seven to eight dollars for that cigar. I would have not even batted an eye. Right. At how good that cigar was. It would have lived up to your expectations. For at you to price. label a cigar a number two on that scale, I mean. Obviously, there's something about it you like. That the means flavors if, if were it had okay. been if it had been a two dollar cigar, I'd have still, I'd have, <laughs> I'd still probably wouldn't have been happy with it. You know, unbelievable. That, I think that might be the lowest rating we've had on the show. I think I mean, now. Here's where I'm going to give a little benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to pass this along. I actually bought two of these, so I had a second one in the humidor. Okay. By the way, side by side in the humidor. With this one, in case you're wondering, I wonder if Cruz knows how to like properly maintain his cigars <laughs> in his humidor. Because if you don't, you could get something like that. By right? the way, Cruz's humidor is about, it's like a complex of humidors, yeah, actually. It's, it's not just a humidor. It is a humidor you, complex. You have a humidor yeah. complex. Yeah. <laughs> so this, this, these cigars were both in unit 5A. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so what I did was uh, uh, a couple of days later, I went back and got the other one, the second one. And I mostly out of curiosity because I wanted to see will this happen again. Why I'd already, not? Right. I'd already paid for it, right? Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, the second one smoked much better. Wasn't a super even burn, but much better. Better. Much better. None of that cracking and stuff. But it still didn't totally redeem it because right. it's not super even. You're not. Yeah. I mean, so I'll tell you what. I'd give that one a five. So if you average the two scores, three point five. Yeah. That's still low. That's that's. And I'm sorry, Gurkha. Like I, I, I want to root for you guys. And those little, what is it, the Chairman's Reserve uh, Gurkhas? Those, yeah, the Signature the, Reserve the or signature whatever. Reserve, those are great. Man, the fantastic cigars. So it's not like they can't do it. I just don't know uh, where this came from. I think I still have one of those in my humidor. I may have to pull that out this week and uh, do a review. I have a feeling it's going to be yeah, because it, it'd be nice. Those to are say, great. I've never had an issue with those. It'd be nice to say something nice about mm-hmm. them on the show too, because <laughs> I, honestly, 
when I when I got this cigar, I got it with the intention of going, you know, we've been a little hard on Gurkha. Yeah. It'd be great to smoke something and go, you know what? They're back. Right. You know what I mean? And that's what I wanted to be able Again, to do. Like I said earlier, I want to be a fan, but they're not letting me at this yeah. point. All right. So we're going to take a, a quick break. We still have Glen Morangy, uh brand new uh, whiskey to taste on the show. Uh, that's something we actually already did on uh, Sunday. But we are looking forward to uh, bringing you that segment again in our final segment. And coming up in the next uh, segment, we'll taste a Connecticut Valley Brewing Certus, New England-style IPA from Windsor, Connecticut, plus valid, peppered throughout the show today. Valentine's Day cocktails. It is Valentine's Day. It is Valentine's Day. So if you want to make some cocktails to spark the romance, dreamy drinks for a memorable evening, we have some quick recipes for you, and we'll share those uh, with you as Smoking and Toasting continues. Thank you guys for joining us for show number 126. (laughs) Hey, Howard Sanders out there watching. Hey, Howard. What's up, Howard? We need to we need to get uh, back with him too. Yes, we do. I don't have any catchy cigars. Welcome back. It's smoking and toasting. It's show number one hundred and twenty-six. Uh, this show is all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. We're brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. Hey, Chris, now, have, yes. you, have you ever had the bacon there? Oh, at B&B? Yeah. <laughs> have I had the bacon? I cannot talk about it. You have know, I they actually the have more stuff than bacon. They Their do. steaks they are amazing. They have amazing steaks, right? <laughs> and just, you know, it, they're also one of those places that I don't know what they do to those mashed potatoes. And I don't want to know. I simply want to eat them. <laughs> you just want to experience it, <laughs> I just right? want to eat them. That's yes. it. So uh, today being Valentine's Day, um, I was. Uh, we were all prepared to bring you a Valentine's Day uh, cocktail show today. And then we got – and this is terrible. It's a terrible thing, Ian, to be stood up on Valentine's Day. It is. But we got stood up on Valentine's Day. You know, Day apparently Valentine's our- Day is, is like – the day where more people break up than any other day. Is, is that really yes. true? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I did not know that. I have only I once it. in my life broken up with someone on Valentine's oh, Day. Oh, you've done it. Oh, you're a bad, that's, bad that's man. That's a story. That's you a story are, for another you time. You are a bad man, Ian Barry. <laughs> <laughs> that was once in my life. Well, we figured it was bad enough just to be stood up on Valentine's Day, and it happened to us. We were supposed to have cock- Valentine's Day romantic cocktails to mm-hmm. share with you, and uh, and we don't have that. So- in the absence of that, I am stepping up to grace you with a few Valentine's Day cocktails uh, that should work perfectly if you're trying to spark a little romance in your uh, Valentine's Day evening. Now, I will tell you, I'm taking my wife out for Valentine's Day tomorrow because I just figure tonight is amateur night. Right? Uh-huh. So we're going out to dinner tomorrow. We're doing dinner. Probably... I'm going to make dinner for my wife yeah, tonight. See. Okay, see, that's good. That's good. So you're not going out and getting in the thick of it. Well, uh, we are. we're going out to, tomorrow night, but tonight I may... I may be in the kitchen whipping up a little cocktail action, you know, just just to make things exciting. So here's a perfect Valentine's Day cocktail for you. The Blushing Geisha. The Blushing Geisha? Yep. It's a sexy little cocktail. Perfect fit for any special occasion. It's sweet, fruity, and kissed with a hint of rose. It features uh, Taiku. Have you ever had Taiku? No. It's that Japanese liqueur. It's wonderful. Mm, I haven't had it. Wonderful. Uh, that includes uh, pomegranate, honeydew, yuzu, and Asian pear. It's a fantastic base for the pomegranate juice and rose nectar. So what you do is you take pomegranate juice, 
um, about one-fourth of the glass of the cocktail. Rose nectar, just a hint. Taiku liqueur, and you you shake over ice, and it'll give you a beautiful drink that you will love to share. Awesome. Uh, so I will... Um, I've got most of these romantic Valentine's Day cocktails uh, from an article from a a website called The Spruce Eats. And so we will include this in the show notes, and you can go there, and it'll give you the the specific instructions on how to find those cocktails. But we'll be sharing these happy Valentine's Day cocktails with you, uh, like I said, in lieu of uh, what our guest was supposed to be sharing with us, which isn't going to happen. If we could activate the beer cam, please. Beer cam. Uh, Yeah. uh, on, On display on our beer cam today is a Certus. Uh, IPA from Connecticut Valley Brewing in Windsor, Connecticut. Um, this is a New England style IPA, and thank you for turning that around. Well, uh, we, we need a little automatic thing that we does do this. that just rotates it. Yeah, like we already have a beer cam. I think that sets us aside. But having a little rotating can, I love the display idea. would be amazing. I love the it? idea. So, Ian, why don't you do some high tech sound effects for us? And uh, ooh. That sounded just like that me was, opening a beer That can, was one it? of the best. That was so authentic. Like, how do you get that authentic of a You know, I work hard at this. This is, this is yeah. Don't try this at home. Okay. <laughs> or oh, yeah, or actually please try do this try at this home. at home. Yeah. <laughs> and you practice at it, and after a while, you just get good at it. All you know? right, so here comes the Certus IPA. We're going to pass it around for a little extra, uh, little extra IPA love here from Certus. And um, I don't know, Ian, this is... This is uh, this is smelling like a juice bomb already. It does smell like this a juice has bomb. that New England style IPA vibe all over it. And you can it's, see how hazy it is. It's very hazy. Show it to the beer can. The yeah. beer can. Yeah, there you go. You can see how hazy it is. It's uh, it's definitely got that. Oh, see, it smells I, like mango. It actually smells so good that I almost slurped it up my nose, like I have a tendency to do <laughs> when I'm trying to get the uh, get the nose on a on a beer sample, uh, but. Mm. You know, um, wow. I, now, this I, I'll just tell you, I'm a fan of the whole juicy, hazy New England IPA thing. I, you know, this, this, this is, is not a, disappointing. This is a good IPA. Yeah, this is not disappointing. I at have all. to say, this is not the piney, super bitter tasting. Mm-mm. This is juicy and mouth watering and delicious. They don't give you a lot of information on here. They really don't, do they? They don't. There's, um, you I'm, know, the question is this: they don't have a, a, a label. Telling you what's in beer. What's in the beer? Yeah, you know. Think I, how so, harmful that could I'm be. I'm so confused. Yeah. Well, like, what's what's in my beer? Could well, it be? we've already called out. We called the in the first segment, and we're <laughs> able to we're able to discern that uh, you can't tell that about your Bud Light either. So, if this, I'm gonna, if I'm this, gonna drink a beer without ingredients, I'm choosing this over Bud Light. This is not for the many. This is for people who like a well balanced mm-hmm. IPA that's very juicy. It says to learn more about the image on the front, visit ctvalleybrewing.com, which is connecticutvalleybrewing.com. It's a New England IPA. That, of course, is a constellation. Is, is that one of the dippers? Is that like the big dipper on the front there? I can't. I'm not I'm not good with stars and astrology. So No, nope, that's not the big dipper. What is that? I don't know. Is it the Certus Array? <laughs> I just made that up. It sounded like a science fiction thing. So. It's Cetus. I, I don't know. I don't oh, know is it Cetus? Am I calling Cetus, it Certus? Cetus, yeah. You're right. It's Cetus. Cetus. I've been calling it Certus the whole time, which shows you what I know. Um, <laughs> but this is interesting because I believe this to be a limited uh, edition IPA. I'm not sure this is something that they have out all uh, all year long. 
This is a good IPA. It's well balanced, very fruity. I mean, I get tons of orange and like a little mango on the on the back mm-hmm. of this, mm-hmm. and um, and it's well balanced and it doesn't like leave bitter very much at all. I don't think so. No, like, it's it's got it's got just real refreshingness to it for something that's a little bit bigger like this is. It's I mean, got a is, big mouthfeel on it yeah, too. Yeah, big mouthfeel, and it's seven percent. So that's that's not off the charts by any re, by any means for an IPA, but. I think it's got mango. I think it's got pineapple. I detect a little pineapple in there. It's got a and, lot going on. Mm-hmm. It is delicious, though. It makes me keep wanting to take sips of it. <laughs> All right. So I apologize for calling this Certus. It's Cetus. C-E-T-U-S. Cetus IPA. Visions of a green and peaceful world, they say. So obviously this is a... Uh, Good job, know. Connecticut Valley. Okay. So here's something I notice on the can, Ian. And I'm going to show this back to the beer uh, cam again. But there's a little <laughs> Superman-type figure. Can you show? Yeah, there you go. Little Superman-type figure there. So this this brewery is very mysterious. They're not giving as many clues. Kind of like Bud Light, where they don't have the ingredients label on their cans yet. Um, but um, They're being mysterious. They're about. being mysterious, yes. <laughs> How will we know that it's water, malt, barley, and hops? It's uh, and yeast. Galaxy hops. Galaxy oh, hops. Cetus is the kind of hops, I bet. Is that right? Ah. Uh, a galaxy hop. Okay. Cetus well. is a constant. Brian says Cetus is a constellation, a sea monster in Greek mythology. Oh, so, a sea monster. Well, there you go. That's what we're, we're going to I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And Galaxy Hops makes What would we do the without the support the we get from the people who I don't chime know, in on but this? I, ju- I, ju- I just love our listeners. <laughs> uh, I, I even love the ones who write bad reviews that I read about one third of. Uh, <laughs> those guys are awesome, too. I love those guys just as much. So, okay. So, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break because we have a very long segment coming up in our final segment, which is the one that we did on Sunday with our friends from Glen Morangy. And we have a lot of things to go over yet. We have more uh, Valentine's Day cocktails to share with you. Uh, Plus, not to, like, rock your world if you're really concerned about the corn syrup thing from Bud Light and the rice that Bud Light uses and some of their stuff. Uh, But craft brewers are beginning to use rice and corn in their beers as well. Good thing, bad thing? Don't know. All right. We'll it's all in the flavor, it. basically. It's all in the flavor. We'll talk about it coming up. Uh, plus, um, <laughs> I, I, well, you know what? I'm just going to stay with Valentine's Day. We'll just stay with Valentine's Day. But we do want to tell you about uh, <laughs> about the senators pushing to end the uh, Cuban embargo. I want to hear about that. An important uh, suggestion. Yes, I want to so. hear. So that's coming up. You are listening to Smoking and Toasting. Thank you for joining us. And next, the story of the golden monkey. Smoke it a toast. Golden one. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> Unknown. I got what one of those. Chances I'm going to be taking that, folks. Unknown. I got one of those earlier. Mine said unavailable, though. <laughs> unavailable. <laughs> like unavailable. Probably twelve minutes. Welcome back, my friends. It is smoking and toasting, and we are so thrilled. Uh, to have you uh, checking out the program. We're all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. Uh, it is show number 126, and we are brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. And one of the things I will tell you about B&B, those guys, if you go to their bar, if you are a fan of brown spirits of any kind, mm-hmm. man, these guys have got it going on at the bar. You know, what's, what's funny uh, when you say that is you'd think at a place like that that, you know they're only going to have top end, 
like all the oh, the highest most right expensive the stuff. most expensive stuff. and they do have some expensive yes ones. absolutely yes. you can get that there but their bar is curated he buys good stuff and yes. it doesn't matter if it's twenty dollars a bottle doesn't always or have if to it's be two hundred and twenty dollars yeah. a bottle that's right that's absolutely it's right. always going to be good yeah it's always going to be good they're also not afraid to make mixed drinks with scotch they're which also, I appreciate they're also not afraid to make mixed drinks with scotch. I feel like we're being repetitive. I feel like we are being repetitive, but that's what the reviews say. So I thought we would just, you know, play into that if we could. So, no, I, I, I honestly, they they do have a great bar. Their their bartenders are great with cocktails, and and boy, do they have a great selection of whiskeys yeah, they do, at they all do a great job. at all price points. By the way, what do you have up here on the beer cam? Well, okay, so this is Victory Brewing's Golden Monkey. So can, I have to can, tell you, can before you have a story. Can we just take a moment to appreciate the fact that we actually just have a beer can? We have a beer can. It's very exciting. It's <laughs> right. very exciting. And I'm going to work on finding something that makes the beer that go will like make the beer time. rotate. Yeah. It's, it's very Vanna White what you're doing right there. I don't know exactly why or how, but it is very uh, Vanna White. So here's my story about Golden Monkey. I uh, spent uh, about uh, three and a half years uh, living in the Philadelphia area. In Pennsylvania. And when I was there, uh, towards the end of my time there, when uh, my best friend Dave, who was a guest on the show a few weeks back. Oh, he was a blast. Uh, it was a great deal of fun. We've always had fun smoking cigars and drinking craft beers. And, and so uh, he uh, actually moved there as well. And there were a number of different things that we, you know, we threw some parties and had people come over and, you know, had some good time. Now, in every state has unusual and interesting liquor laws. And one of the things about Pennsylvania is that you can't just go to the store nope. or to the liquor store and buy a six-pack of nope. your favorite brew. You have to go to a distributor. Uh, you have to go to a beer distributor, and you have to buy a case. How this promotes responsible drinking, I'm not completely sure, but you that's know, okay, the way But it you works. know what you can do? What? Is you can go down to a bar and just buy a six-pack to go. To go, yes, which makes no sense to me. <laughs> but uh, but in generally speaking, unless you're going to pop into the bar and grab yourself a six-pack, when you buy... Um, when you buy beer, you're buying a case of beer. Now, Victory Brewing is located in Downingtown, Pennsylvania, which is just a little bit outside Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And they are one of the finest craft breweries that I got introduced to early on in my uh, experience of, of learning to love craft beer. They make a Hop Devil IPA mm -hmm. that is so hoppy but manages to avoid being like you know, pinecone, pinecone. Yeah. yeah, it's so hoppy. I don't know how they do it. Uh, they make several other beers that I've just loved. We've had a number of different victory beers mm -hmm. on here. They, we've I actually a, reviewed them all really well. I think not that we're master. We do the we did the victory at sea and yeah, we've done yeah. we've done a number of different victory ones and they've always been good. But often when my friend Dave or I would go to buy beer, we would wind up buying the victory uh, mixed pack. Because when you're buying a case of beer, and especially if you're having a party, you well, want to get a brilliant. You want to get a little something for everybody. So it would be a case, which would be uh, you know different six packs of their different beer. Right? Hey, that's brilliant of them oh, to of work course. with. Work with the makes laws. sense. So we would buy these cases of Victory, and included in them would always be at least one six pack of the Victory Golden Monkey. Now, as it turns out, at this particular point in my palate's development for craft beer. I didn't care much for the Golden Monkey. Really? And by the way, neither did my friend Dave. So the Golden Monkey had a tendency to kind of stack up. And my friend Dave had one of those downstairs in the garage refrigerators. Uh-huh. 
And when you would go to the refrigerator and pull the door open, it would be full of Golden Monkey. That's like... That would be like ah yeah, but see we weren't we weren't looking at it that way. <laughs> and then when we'd have a party at his house, he would always be trying to pawn off the golden monkey on people. Oh, have you tried the golden monkey? We laugh about this all the time. <laughs> so uh, it's been years since then, and what I'm interested to find out because Victory makes such great beers, is if my palate has changed enough. So you brought in a I beer that feel, you may not actually like. I'm not sure I'm going to like this if. If my past remains consistent, I won't like this beer. Let me go ahead and tell you this. I love this beer. Yeah, I see. I had a feeling. I haven't even opened this, and well, I love this beer. You're a fan of Belgian triples to begin with. I am. With. I am. And, and this is one with spices on with top spices, of that. Yes. Yeah, so, so we're going to try this. Not to mention, it's also at 9.5%. Well, see, there you go. That's you why don't we need many. That's why we didn't start with the Victory <laughs> Golden Monkey. Uh, but let's give this a try, because I'm very curious to see, A, what how you will review it, because I have a feeling your review will be different from mine. Oh, nice. Uh, and and then secondly, I'm just I'm just really curious to see if I will like it better now because there are a lot of things that my palate has adjusted to and I've learned to really like that I didn't like you know back in the day. So and and remember for me this was you know not like the first couple of years but certainly was was earlier on in my um, you know palate's development as a craft beer uh, drinker. So I wasn't maybe as fond of a lot of styles as I am now, you know? Um, well. I'm much more a fan now, say, will, of brown ales, for example. Let me walk like you them a lot through a little bit of this then, okay? All right, talk so to me. So first off, smell the fruit and spice right there off the nose. You can certainly pick up on the spice. Yeah, yeah. the spice is a little uh, is a little like baking spice kind of thing going right, on. Right, right, right. It's absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then the fruit that backs it up. I mean, this is a, it's a Belgian-style triple. It's... It's very fruity, you know. It is. It's got, like, I don't remember tasting, I don't remember being nearly this subtle. There's also a beautiful little funk to it. Mm-hmm. There's that word. There's a beautiful little funk on the finish. It's a bit that, dank. Ab- yes, that I absolutely love in this beer. And I'm guessing maybe that's what the, you know, um, early palate version of me maybe was responding more negatively too. Yeah, I mean, it could be something too that you're just used to one flavor, and then mm-hmm. you get another, and you're like, ah, right. Ah. Because in that day, I was almost exclusively IPA. Right. That was that was the only style I really loved. Maybe the occasional ESB or something, and then back to the IPA. Unlike a lot of uh, Belgian triples, though, this has a little bitter on the finish mm-hmm. that you don't usually get with uh, the the Belgian style triples. I'm going to tell you that I do like it much better than I remember. It's, it's a little crisper from than you when think. my friend Dave's refrigerator was completely full of these. Also, <laughs> Brian says, "Holy hell, I want that fridge." <laughs> <laughs> so this also has a little more. Um, a little more carbonation than generally used to. I will tell you this. I love this beer. For a Belgian triple, yes. right? I generally will pour this in a glass and let it sit for a few. Because once it's let a little bit warmer escape. and the carbonation yep. comes out a little bit, the the darker fruity flavors really blossom. I love it. I love it. Well, so uh, I would challenge you to uh, wait until this warms up a little bit and then try it at the end of the show and see right. the difference too. So hold on to that. We're gonna uh, we're gonna go back to uh, we're gonna go back to it maybe in our fourth segment when Man, we try banana, like tons oh, yeah. of banana in there. I, I'm I'm gonna tell you flat out. I like it much better than I remember liking it. I'm still not gonna say it's my favorite, but I like it much better than I remember liking it. Uh, what would Valentine's Day be like without champagne? Uh, you know, it just would make no sense, Champagne. right? Champagne. Champagne, as I like to Lisa, say. 
<laughs> Anytime you say that, it makes me think of that Christopher Walken skit, <laughs> The Continental. Do you remember that? Yes. Oh, so good. <laughs> you forgot your glove. <laughs> yeah. The champagne. Um, so uh, take your favorite sparkling, sparkling wine and make it into a figgy sparkler. Figgy sparkler. A figgy sparkler. That's yes. fun to say. Perfect. For, yes, it is. And might uh, might actually you know advance the cause on Valentine's Day. It's a very simple recipe pairing figs and cranberries with vodka and prosecco, or your favorite kind of uh, sparkling wine. So if you like, infuse your vodka with the fig. You know how to do vodka infusion, right? It, we do it all the time at home. You just stick figs in the vodka. You stick figs in the vodka, close the canister, let it sit. Yeah. That's all you have to do. It's wonderful. And people come over and go, oh, you infused this. That's really wild. Yeah, I worked real hard yeah. at it. <laughs> uh, that'll ramp up the intoxicating qualities of the uh, love potion. But basically, it is uh, vodka and Prosecco, about half and half, over cranberries. And squeeze in a little fig juice if you can uh, if you can get some ripe figs. Ah. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to go one further. If yeah. you freeze your cranberries, then they act like ice. Oh, see, that? what a great idea that would be. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they would release all that uh, cranberry juicy water mm-hmm. as it melts in the drink. Now, um, they also recommend in this article I'm reading for romantic Valentine's Day uh, cocktails, and I thought you might like this, the Brogue. The Brogue is for whiskey lovers. Uh, It's basically an enhanced rusty nail, but it uses a homemade lavender honey syrup that is easy to make. And uh, they will tell you how in this uh, article, and I will leave a a reference to this in the show notes. Um, uh, And it's got a hint of citrus uh, and then the classic combo of scotch and drambuie. Everything about that sounds great, except right. for when you add lavender. There's almost nothing with lavender. See, that I I'm like. not a lavender guy myself. Yeah. So what? Is, so <laughs> you could also maybe make it without the lavender, because if you think of it, the citrus, the scotch, and the drambouille. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good. You could probably right substitute the uh, lavender with rose. Probably could, and probably and maybe better. maybe anything that's got a bit of a floral nature yeah. to it. Because uh, I think that's work. why they would put that in there is for the right. floral aspect of it. Yeah, I'm kind of like you. My ex-wife used to chew lavender gum. It was disgusting. That sounds awful. It, it was in every way, shape, and form. Uh, that's, that's it was absolutely terrible awful. stuff. All right, so we will uh, take another break. We will be back with some Carbock Chocolate Stout, my friend. Uh, it's the new seasonal from Carbock Brewing Company here in Houston. They are uh, they are the local brewery we have here that was acquired by AB. But they still, uh, you know, they've still got guys there concentrating on cranking out and making some really inventive brews. So we'll see how they did with the uh, uh, with the new chocolate stout. It is their seasonal. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about some cocktails, and then coming up, um, it's a uh, it's a pretty exciting segment, I think, with uh, with Glenn Morangy that we will be sharing. We did the show on Sunday. If you weren't around for that, didn't have a chance to see it yet, we'll share it with you in the final segment oh, of today's show. Yeah. Great, great stuff and and great new, uh, very, like, it'll sell out fast. So you're going to want to get the lowdown on it and then go looking for it, uh, the new product from uh, Glenn Morgie. So we'll be back with all of that. It's Smoking and Toasting, show number 126. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome back, my friends. It is uh, 
Smoking and Toasting, show number 126. We are brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. A bipartisan group of senators, including uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, uh, Mike Enzi of Wyoming, and Patrick LaHaye of Vermont, uh, have introduced legislation, proposed legislation, which would end the trade embargo against Cuba. Wow. That's that big. Could be a bi- it That's could be big. A, a big deal. Um, you know, there's um, there's a very interesting, I don't want to get into all the politics of it, but there's a lot of interesting politics going on. And, you know, we're going to be like down in Honduras next week. So Yes. Uh, right in the middle of all the interesting By politics. By the way, are you excited about that? I am really excited. We're going to so, be in Honduras. So we're going to be at the JRE factory. Mm-hmm. Where they the farm, where the farm where they grow the tobacco, the factory and the barns where they cure and roll the tobacco. We're going to be there, and we'll be putting together either live show segments or segments will be included. There on will be a picture shows. of you on a horse. Oh well, you look. That's forward to my that. favorite yeah, part. Uh, I can't I know wait. You, I know you're excited about that. <laughs> so, uh, no, let me tell you what's going to be awesome though is we're going to be able to talk with the rollers, with the I know, blenders, fantastic, with the farmers. Like the so, I'm really psyched about this and. We don't know yet. We've been invited down there by the JRE people, and we uh, accepted and said yes, and we're, we bought our airline tickets, and we're headed down. So we're really excited about it. What we don't know yet is much about the infrastructure, whether we'll have the kind of Internet we would need to be able to go up live out there in the you know cigar factory. If we do, we'll we post. Do. We'll go live mm-hmm. uh, across next probably Monday and Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but either way, we'll be bringing segments back, which we'll be able to share on the show next week. So I'm pretty excited. We're about really, that. really excited about that. And thank you to those guys. And uh, just it's going to be quite, quite a getaway. Quite, a, quite an exciting thing. And I've never been to an actual. Tobacco farm and plantation. I have never. Either. Closest thing I've come has been in the cigar shop when they had one of those people rolling. That's, <laughs> well, been, the, that's been the closest thing. You know, for like me. like when I went down to Ebor City and I, I posted a couple, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, films of people rolling and mm-hmm, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's the closest I've been to it. That's, that's I'm so excited. Well, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. I'm yeah. really, really looking forward you to it. You think we're going to be able to, uh, do they have, you think they'll be like California or will they actually have a place to smoke cigars? I'm betting they're going to have a place to smoke cigars. I'm just betting. And do I need to bring cigars? I'm betting you don't need to bring <laughs> cigars. I'm just, I'm just. Then I have room to take underwear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you have to have priorities, right? Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, if I had to bring cigars, then I don't have room for underwear. <laughs> you know <how> it is. <laughs> That's great. That is great. Um, uh, an exotic uh, vodka martini, uh, tougher to beat. Uh, it's tough to beat. Let me say this again. It's tough to beat a more exotic um, vodka martini than the Amarula and Eve. It's a wonderful blend of fruit flavors, ideal pairing for nearly any type of cuisine you could think of. And what it does is it uses Amarula cream liqueur. So if you make vodka martinis the way I make them, which is ice and vodka... Yeah. Uh, what you do is you add in a splash of this uh, Amarula cream liqueur, and you kind of do that to taste. It is made from the African marula fruit, which is said to be a love-inducing fruit. Ooh. I didn't make this up. Yeah. Uh, it's Where paired you with your favorite citca- uh, citrus vodka uh, and lychee and grapefruit juices, all uh, a splash of each. 
but use a citrus vodka, so like an orange or a lemon or uh, something like that. The Amarula Cream Liqueur, which you should be able to find at your favorite uh, spirit shop. And then just a little bit of uh, grapefruit juice and lychee, if you can find it. Like the lychee nuts, you know what I'm mm -hmm. talking about? Uh, it'll be a most delightful drink. This is from our list uh, from the Spruce Eats of great Valentine's Day cocktails. Again, we were going to be drinking Valentine's Day cocktails today, but... We uh, kind of got stood up, so that, you know, it happens. Stood up on Valentine's hey, Day. Is that the name it, of today's show? It no, it should be, I think. <laughs> stood up on Valentine's Day. Stood up on Valentine's Day. I think it Day. should be. No, I think our title today will be Valentine's Day, Glenn Morangy, and the Golden Monkey. That sounds all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was going to call it Palentine's Day with Ian and Cruz, but I got voted you down. You got voted down on that one. <laughs> I do kind of like that, that idea, though, of stood up on Valentine's Day. That would be a good death. <laughs> uh, that, that, that would be a good show name. I like it. Uh, let's see what we got here. Now, interestingly, um, Carbach Brewery, uh, which is now oh, uh, beer owned cam. By, by AB InBev, um, these guys were, they weren't the first to can in uh, in the uh, Houston area, because I know Southern Star was the first Southern to can. Southern Star first. But these guys were an early uh, all-can uh, brewery early on, before they were... Uh, part of the AB InBev uh, family. I like cans. Were, yeah, I do too. Uh, on, oddly enough, I'm looking at the chocolate stout uh, can, and I don't see, um, I don't see any sort of ingredients label. There is not. A, that's, <coughs> what is so the, maybe the AB InBev thing has. Oh, not, here it is. It says ale brewed with chocolate. Oh well, there you go. So uh, even though Bud Light hasn't started, they got it right uh, at Carbox. <laughs> they got at least two ingredients in there: ale yeah, and chocolate. Ale and chocolate. Well, I'm going to tell you on the nose. Uh, you get what I would say is an almost sort of a standard uh, aroma of a chocolate stout, but maybe a little more carbonation. Again, that's just oh, it's a, it's kind of a bitter chocolate kind mm -hmm. of smell to it. You can pick up on it. Smells a little. good. And uh, I'm going to tell you this: it tastes good too. It looks good. Look at look at this. Look at the head on this. What's let me, interesting? Let me come over here to the beer can. It has a lot of carbonation and and a nice head on on there. What it doesn't have is the viscosity of some of the stouts that we've had on the show. Yeah, it looks recently. a little thinner. It's a little thinner. It drinks a little thinner, but it is delicious. Mm. Oh yeah, that's pretty good. So for something that isn't I uh, see it I like the have bitter chocolate thicker, that it has. Right. For something that doesn't have that thicker sort of mortar oil like consistency to it, I'm actually a little surprised at how Intense the chocolate is so um, so I think when I have a beer that's a lot thicker like that I expect it to be sweeter and I kind of like that mm -hmm. this is not super sweet it's sweet mm -hmm. but it's not super sweet this is more of a bitter chocolate like a like a dark chocolate kind of a chocolate bomb actually yeah yeah this is pretty awesome this is like a very drinkable chocolate like you can have one or two of these not mm -hmm. like let's just split one so let me uh, see what it says on the can silky smooth it says. Open me and you'll see a brew that came from our imagination. Let it pour. Watch it swirl. The chocolate notes release with carbonation. I would say that's very Willy true. Willy Wonka-esque thing mm -hmm. going on there, Oh, too. yes. That's right. Well, uh, again, back to the beer cam to show you the Willy Wonka. The beer cam. And, uh, yeah. All right, I'm going to so, show you something amazing in a little while about a beer cam, but we'll uh, wait for that. Uh, so it, it will only be here for the season, it says. Uh, but this <laughs> is their chocolate stout, and I'm looking for... I do not see an ABV on the Delmar can. says it has drinkability. Oh, there we go. It's 5.5. So for a stout, that's actually fairly low. That's pretty low. low, yeah. Yeah, it really is. In fact, the the 
the uh, IPA we had, I think, was higher than that. Yes, uh, so seven percent. Uh, not believe. to mention the Golden Monkey. So the Golden Monkey was usually, nine. Usually we save the big one for last, but uh, but this one is. But this maybe is big lighter. flavor. This is mm-hmm. not really high alcohol, but big flavor. Well, I'm going to tell you that I like it. I agreed. Uh, it's maybe a more crushable stout. Yeah. Than we're used to because most stouts that we have had on the show are delicious, but you you sip them slowly. You know, and you mm-hmm. and you uh, maybe take and savor them. This this you could almost just like more more in the way that Guinness is a stout. Yes, you know where it's very drinkable. Like you can throw them back even if you want to. Well, and Guinness is not but, real high alcohol either. It's no, right it's the same five percent or, or less. Range. But this is much more chocolatey yeah. than a Guinness, especially that dark sort yes. of uh, sort of a. Bit this of I think if you if you put this on nitro like Guinness is, I bet it would be incredibly smooth. Mm. Like incredibly, like because that those those nitro bubbles give you that silky, give you that kind silkiness, of yeah. Feel, I bet that would be pretty amazing. This actually. is this is really like, it's got that taste of like if you ever get one of those kind of expensive bars of dark chocolate. Yes, it that's it what very it reminds much has me of. That. Yeah. Yeah. Lind or one of right, those, right, right, yeah. exactly. One of those, Lindt's or uh, Ghirardelli yeah, or, or yeah. one of those, yeah. Uh, but but definitely the dark chocolate with that, just more. Uh, almost yeah, the kind where you take a little bite and yeah. savor it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good. Mm. So I'm going to do I'm a little bit it. of magic here. Would you hand me that? All right. Absolutely. Okay, this is something that that uh, you won't see everywhere, but our beer cam. Hey, can you put it on the beer cam for just a moment, there, uh, Adam, if you don't mind? Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to transform our beer cam, uh huh, into a rum cam. Oh, you magical magician! Did you see you. how I did that? You are a man. Now I can of do mystery. it again if you want to see. You're how a it's man done. of mystery. Would you mind? It's pretty. Yeah, hold, on second, hold on a second. Hold on If you do it again, though, that might be repetitive. <laughs> I'm sorry. If I do it again, it might be repetitive. Yeah. Okay. So now it's a beer cam. Okay. Right. Right. Give right. me a second to watch. I'm just gonna pass my hand over once, uh, twice, uh, and, and it's now a rum it's a cam. rum cam. All right. So we're gonna try this rum before we round out the show today. And let me tell you about this rum. I went to. Um, I'm not a big fan of weddings. In fact, I, I went to your wedding like right after we had met, and it was totally because. Uh, you know, my wife was like, we have to go to this wedding. This is, you know, my friend Ian. And then I went to the wedding and I was like, okay, they have great beer here. This is like my favorite wedding uh, ever. Right? <laughs> we did have good beer. Oh, man. It was amazing. So recently I got uh, um, uh, I got to attend another wedding. And again, I'm not a big wedding guy, but uh, um, I attended the wedding of a good friend and uh, a local uh, musician, Nick Greer. Uh, he was in a, a band that I don't know if they exist anymore or not. Nick Greer and the G's, great band. I remember them. Uh, super fun. Uh, he's a great piano player, great musician. Uh, so he got married to his uh, to his longtime sweetheart. And congratulations! Uh, they had a uh, they had a really nice ceremony, great food. And I'm standing at the bar and I'm looking behind uh, the bartender. It, it was in like a hotel, you know, uh, lobby and and ballroom reception area type thing. And uh, I'm looking behind the bartender, and I'm kind of looking, okay, we have that, we have that. Look like the relatively normal uh, drink selections. And then my eyes stopped on a bottle of Ron Zacapa 23. I was like, uh, that, that's available for, for the bar? Yeah. So I spent the evening of Nick's, Nick and Stacy's wedding Really enjoying Ron Zacapa twenty three. You were and, you were uh, and so trying I had to, to figure out, out what to do with a drunken I, sailor. I had to go. Yes, I did, and I was able to figure that out too by the end of the night. Uh, but I'm not telling. Uh, so uh, so this is the Ron Zacapa twenty three, and I have to tell you, 
after going and, and finding it at the store, surprisingly affordable. You're you are reaching to pour more, which I take I just that took is a sip, your, uh, and I might have underpoured myself. Your, so yeah. I'm sorry if I did that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to go ahead and tell you this, especially right after that chocolate With that stout, chocolate stout. Yes, holy sir. cow, this is delicious. Yeah, it really is, and it's so smooth and refined, and you get so much of the oak and vanilla. Uh, notes and it's 23 23 is very old for a rum most rums that you buy are going to be in the uh, three year to eight year category yeah. a 12 would be considered heavily very, aged very old, yeah. in rums so if you get a hold of a 23 and yet this is not a ridiculous price it's uh, actually I, th- I think it's about 40 bucks in uh it's like really really this affordable. is so good okay so so here's what i'm experiencing the sugar cane like that mm-hmm. that brown sugar and sugar cane kind of flavors mm-hmm. are combining with the vanilla and the oak i mean this is outstanding it's super smooth and especially when you combine it with the sort of a dark chocolate vibe that came from that stout that went before wow what a magical combination the only thing we're missing here Have is a you, really great medium-bodied cigar. Right? Yeah. Have you you've uh, taken a piece of sugar cane and chewed on it before? Yes. It leaves an aftertaste, a very sugary uh-huh. kind of aftertaste, but a, but it's a sort of a, a plant. It's a very based. plant, yeah, yeah organic mm-hmm. kind of. A, this leaves that in your mouth, and it's awesome. But it's but it's got that sweetness that's so good. This is way too easy to drink. Yes, it is. <laughs> like way too easy Which, to drink. If you take a look at the bottle. Which is about half empty. You can see how easy it is yes. to drink because that wasn't purchased until on our, after on our rum can. The wedding that I uh, mentioned, <laughs> which was not that long ago. So, uh, so yes, it is very easy to drink, but uh, delicious. I'm going to say, of any rums that are aged in this uh, area, that are in the 21, 23 year area, uh, this is the least expensive, probably, and probably the most worth uh, the money. I, nice. I'm gonna say it's really, really well done. Yeah, this is really, really you know, well and done. Uh, you gave me a bottle of Zacapa um, last year, actually. I think I cheaped out and went with the twelve year. It's delicious. Yes, it's it absolutely is. delicious. There's nothing cheap about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> this is like taking that to the next. This one this goes should, to eleven. Yeah, it really does. This it one, really this does. One definitely does. Or in this case, to twenty three. To twenty. This one goes yeah. to twenty three. Okay, so um, as delicious as this is, we want to shift gears now and talk a little uh, Glenmorangie. Um, we were so fortunate to have the master distiller or the director of distilling and like nine other things uh, from Glenmorangie uh, on uh, the program in the studio with us on Sunday. We did a little pop-up show, and we want to include that coming up in our final segment. Uh, so we will uh, we'll get to that uh, here in, in the next segment. So this is where we say goodbye for now if you've already seen that segment. Uh, but if you haven't, please stay and watch because... You, first of oh, all, you're going to love his Scottish Dr. accent. Dr. Bill is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And he Dan really Crow- knows what okay, he's talking Okay, so I want to point out one thing, okay? Yes, We've yes. had Dan Crowell. Uh, we've course. had him on the show. He mm-hmm. has. This is the first time he's actually been in the studio, but mm-hmm. we've had him on the show before. Dan Crowell is so knowledgeable and so wonderful and uh, loves to talk about whiskey. Mm-hmm. Love. This is the first time I've ever seen him not talk. Right. Like he because <laughs> because Dr. Bill was here, like really like laying the whiskey knowledge. Oh, on it's us. amazing! It's amazing. He's so interesting, and it was so much fun. At one point in this interview, I asked him how he got the job. Yes, at Glen Morangie, <laughs> and he kind of just says, "I applied for it." Like, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me? You don't just <laughs> you don't just apply for that job." But I let it go. So, uh, so enjoy this and enjoy your 
Valentine's Day, my friends. I will post a link in the uh, show notes to the Valentine's Day cocktail uh, article that we've pulled a few from on the show here. There, by the way, are, are plenty of uh, other Valentine's Day recipes on there as well that we didn't get Shout to. out to you guys that are uh, uh, posting up on Facebook while we're talking. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love yep. the reactions yep. from it. Um, and uh, thanks again to CCSD, Stephanie, uh, Howard, everybody yes. else that showed up out there. Thank you so here much. we are, my friend, stood up on Valentine's Day. Stood up on Valentine's Day. And we made Day. the best of it with some uh, Ron Zacapa 23. Uh, have a great week, my friends, and now enjoy, uh, uh, I think, a great segment uh, with our friends from the Norgy. On the beach in Hawaii Today's show, a special edition pop-up, is going to be all about spirits because we are here on a Sunday afternoon uh, because the you know the um, the schedule had the good fortune uh, to put in our studio this afternoon our old friend Dan Crowell and Bill Lumsden, who's the director of distillation, whiskey creation, and whiskey stocks for. In have you heard of this company, Glenmore Are uh, you I'm, familiar? I, I'm pretty sure I've heard yeah. of them. They're yeah. the they're the bomb. Yes, they are. Yeah. <laughs> so we're really excited. And Bill, you will uh, be pleased to know that we spare no expense on sound effects here on the show. I this can is see that. this is yeah. a place where we've you know just we're going to give it all we got. So uh, this, is, this is very high tech. Yeah. I, I did wonder what that was. Uh, so <laughs> was uh, so Bill, I want to get back to your uh, to your title in a few minutes. But first of all, welcome to the show. And Ian was pointing out uh, before we got started here a moment ago. That we've actually seen you on one of those, um, you know, uh, hookups on the web or by satellite or whatever. I think it was like a Google Hangout thing mm-hmm. when you guys were introducing uh, Spios, which we, by the which way, was delicious. <laughs> I was going to say we both became instant fans of. Uh, but it is uh, it is really a pleasure to have you here in the studio to talk about. You've got uh, since whiskey uh, creation is in your title. Yeah. That appears to be what you've been spending your time doing. Is that correct? Absolutely. I, I guess my job has two parts to it. It's the, the, the ongoing maintenance of the quality of the core range, mm-hmm. like the original and the Quinta Ruban and the 18, etc. Mm-hmm. But also it's to do a little bit of experimentation, try and develop new products. So things like Spios and Alta, it's great to finally see them in bottle because, you know, these are ideas that, hatched up about 10, 15 years or so ago. So it's nice to see them finally see the light of day. I just want you to know that every time I go to my bar and pull out the bottle of Spios, I try to say it the way that you say it, and it always I, it always falls <laughs> Doesn't translate far short. Accent, no. <laughs> it always falls far yeah. short. I just love the way that, that you say I, that. I just I just have to tell you, you still have Spios at your house? <laughs> well, <laughs> notice I actually didn't say anything about pouring any of it. I just talked about bringing the bottle out of the bar. Yes. I, I do sometimes and look at it wistfully is, is what I do. No, uh, But so just question before we go any further. Um, the Quinta Raban and La Santa... No, La Santa were, is an absolute mainstay. You were, involved, show, you were involved in the creation of those as well, correct? Yeah. I think basically any Glenmorangie or Art Beggs over the last 20 years have had my fingerprints on them nice. is the way to look at nice. it. Yeah. And how do, you, how do you go about getting this sort of a job? 
I am not I think, that I figure I can apply, but but how did it happen for you? I think that there's always a, a little bit of serendipity involved in things like that, like kind of being in the right place at the right time. Sure, but you know, essentially, you have to have a good nose and palate. And, you know, having a love of whiskey certainly helps mm-hmm. right. do it. And I've got a scientific background which helps me develop some of the more technical projects. Right. But first and foremost, you need to be a whiskey lover. That's, right. that's the most important thing because I would you, say. Because you really would have to have an absolute passion for it to be able to to approach it the way that I think you have to approach I, I, it, right? I would say so. And, you know, ever since I was a little boy, I'm a little bit like a dog that I've always <laughs> gone around <laughs> sniffing things, so I've got a highly developed sense of smell and taste. Yeah, yeah. So Glenmorangie was founded, what, 18... 1843. 43, okay. Yeah. So obviously by the time that you came along, this brand was well-established, well, you know, loved around the world. That's a pretty big responsibility yeah. to many, step how into. How many expressions uh, did Glenmorangie have when you... Uh, when I first joined the company, they they essentially had three. They had the 10-year-old, uh-huh. which we call the original yeah. now, the 18-year-old, and there was this funky new expression called the Portwood finish. Wow. And the history is quite interesting to me because it originally was released not anything to do with a crazy new flavour, but it was actually to try and get more shelf facings for the mm-hmm. brand. Mm-hmm. And when I joined, there was a little bit of this fledgling experimentation going on. So I had carte blanche to develop the range as we know it today. Wow, that's interesting. So you kind of saw it coming that there was going to be uh, sort of an expansion of the whole world of whiskey, yeah. if you will. You know, I mean, w- without a word of a lie, Cruz, um, I was working for DCL, Diageo, at the time, mm-hmm. and I was reading my GQ magazine, and I saw an article. <laughs> I put my porn mag down and started reading the GQ. <laughs> and I was reading an article about this crazy new Glenmorangie whiskey, and it inspired me so much. That and the fact that Glenmorangie was the first whiskey I ever tasted, it made me decide to apply for the job of Glenmorangie Distillery Manager. And that's how it all came about. So wow. It was this idea. I thought that this would be a fun company to join and maybe be allowed to experiment and try different things. And that's exactly how and it's that's turned exactly out. Exactly what it, So, how many, if you don't mind me asking, how many things have you tried? that didn't become a released expression. Okay, um, my, my strike rate is pretty high there, and probably only about 5% don't quite see the light of day. Hmm. And, you know, back in the day, the company did blended Scotch whiskey as well. We don't do that anymore. So I had a ready avenue for blending things away if they didn't quite work. Right, right. But, you know, you, you kind of have a gut feel whether or not something's going to work. And, you know, if you're making a product like Alta, for example, where you're buying hundreds of barrels at a time, you know, it's a lot of money to tie up in something that's not going to work. But I I would say less than 5% to answer your question. Wow, that's that's That's, pretty impressive. (laughs) If we had less than than 5% of our shows... That kind of sucked, you know. <laughs> I would feel like we were wildly successful, you know. Is, is uh, that is that a technical term? Kind a, of sucked. Kind of sucked. <laughs> yes, that is. You'll find that that's, uh, you know, it, there's a specific range when you look at it that falls into the kind of sucked uh, uh, area. No, it, uh, the thing I was going to say, you could probably have a huge failure rate as long as the successes were large. But in your case, you're you. 
you're pointing out that by the time you get to the point of ordering the bottles, you sort of know what you have on your hands, is right? The the way I look at it is that every drop of the spirit is very precious, and I'm simply the current custodian of the quality, so I I don't want to do things that are not going to taste good. Now, you're obviously involved with uh, Glenn Morgy and Ardbeg, and uh, I know we're here to talk about the Alta, uh, but do you have... Um, do you have a favorite between the peatier, you know, the more like intense sort of Ardbeg vibe, and then the more sort of pure single malt vibe of of Glen uh, Morangy? I, I have to say, my style of whiskey primarily is more leaning towards the sort of delicate, elegant style that Glen Morangy is. But I always find with whiskey, it, it's kind of a mood thing, and it's maybe a little bit like craft beer that you don't always want to have a double imperial stout, but right. sometimes if you're in the mood for it, it hits right, home. Right. Sometimes, but, it, sometimes yeah. it's great. Other yeah. times you yeah, really just kind of want an amber ale or maybe a, a you know something that's that's got a little bit different flavor profile. And it's fun having Ardbeg in the portfolio because it's so completely different from Glen oh, Morangy. Yeah. They're, they're like <laughs> opposite ends of the spectrum. Right, right. and and it's uh, I would imagine. Uh, sort of a completely different source of pride to be able to do that style and do it as well as Ardbeg has done um, has got to be I, I don't know it's kind of like it's kind of like if you had a uh, a rugby team and a soccer team and they were both really good right <laughs> so I was trying to, I was trying to reach across the pond there with that sports <laughs> reference did that work <laughs> uh, so so you uh, you were here in uh, the U S uh, obviously here to talk about uh, this new expression to talk about and I just want to make sure I'm showing this to the camera appropriately here. Uh, this is the Alta. What, first of all, what does the word mean? Yeah, Al- Alta, a uh, Scottish Gaelic word for wild. Wild. So we always go... <laughs> we're, we're required to do that actually. That actually is going to work so much better for him, Dan, than it is for know, you. Yeah. You know, there's something about it's, the accent. It's going to work yeah. much better for him. So Alta means wild, which obviously that has some kind of relation to the style of the spirit. Tell us about that. Absolutely. So it's an experiment using a a, a wild yeast strain. Okay. So a strain of yeast we found in the natural environment close to the Glenmorangie distillery. And you know the, the this almost sounds like a plot for a sci-fi movie. I'm just <laughs> you know what I mean. Like every Scooby-Doo episode. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I would have been it would have been great whiskey too if it weren't for those darn kids. <laughs> uh, so uh, so I'm sorry. Uh, we no, no, it, you. It's, I like your way of thinking there because all of these products have got a little bit of a plot, a little bit of a story to them, and the story of this one goes back to the late great Michael Jackson. Not the pop star Michael Jackson, but the whiskey whiskey and beer writer. I I knew Michael very well. Uh, He visited me many times in my day as Glenmorangie Distillery Manager. He did not have a monkey. Which I think um, is important to not, point out. Not when I met him, he didn't. Okay. <laughs> right. Good, that's important to but, point out. But yeah, Michael, in his very first World Guide to Whiskey, mm-hmm. had this little passage in it, and he had featured most of the well-known whiskies globally in it. And there was a little section in Glenmorangie, and he talked about that distillery having its own unique yeast strain. And I just happened to have done my PhD in yeast physiology, so I was obsessed by yeast anyway. 
And no matter how hard I tried, I could find no evidence of this at all in the company. Really? And I even worked with the company archivist, a, a gentleman called Ian Russell, and we could find nothing about it. So I decided there and then that we were absolutely going to have our own unique yeast strain. <laughs> and that, that's where it all came about. So the genesis of this idea goes back more than 20 years. And this is all about the lost wild yeast strand that you actually never found. Absolutely. That's it. So when you then set out to do it on your own, how does that work? Well, there's various ways I could have gone about it. You know, I could simply have left the fermenters open, you know, in the style of a Belgian lambic mm -hmm. fermentation. But I pretty much thought that I would have ended up with all sorts of horrors in the washback and it wouldn't <laughs> just be yeast in there. Right. Now, I have to say I did try it. And um, let's just say that 5% ratio Talking comes into play. Yes. So, <laughs> so I thought, right, OK, where else can I find yeast? And the answer is almost everywhere. You know, yeast's all over our own bodies. If we swabbed this desk, there would be yeast on it. Mm -hmm. But I'm an ex-maltster and barley buyer by training. So I knew fine that barley growing in the field, the ears of the barley are covered in microorganisms. Right. So I took some ears of our own cadball barley, which grows in the field right beside the distillery. I sent it down to my partner, Lalamand, the, the, the yeast supplier, and they swabbed the ears of the barley and we isolated, we, we found quite a few strains of yeast there, but we isolated one in particular, which we felt would have fermentative capacity. And they grew that up into industrial quantity so for you, me. So you find the yeast and then you culture it. That's and, it. Right, yeah. right. And this goes back to what you studied, Absolutely. really, doesn't it? Because yeah. this, this gets back to the actual pure science yeah. of yeah. the whole Wh thing. Which is the thing that I found so exciting as a geek, as a scientist myself. <laughs> and I had enough for one week's worth of production. And the most beautiful part of this project, and this is entirely coincidence, that by the time our partners Lalamand had grown grown up enough of the beastie, which we called Saccharomyces diamath. I was diamath. just about to ask what the name of it is. Say yeah. it one more time. Saccharomyces diamath. So standard yeast is Saccharomyces cerevisiae for brewing or distilling, but diamath, a Scottish Gaelic word meaning God is good, because wow. that's what the ancient Egyptians used to call this phenomenon of alcohol production. They didn't know what was doing it, but they knew that God was good. So, so they thought the, God was just yeah. kind of <laughs> taking care of it, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's where it came from. But when the yeast was ready, the very same barley growing in the field had been harvested, had been dried, had been malted, and was in at the distillery. So the barley, the, the, the malting barley was fermented with the original wild yeast that was growing on it which was the beautiful squaring of the circle, if you like. So when nice. you when you went about, you know, cultivating this, this strain of wild yeast, did you do that with the idea of let's try this and see what kind of flavor that it creates? Or was it more like I'm going for the, a particular kind of flavor and I think this yeast will lead me there? No, it, it was much more the former, Cruz, because in reality – 
you know, I, I had a fairly good idea that if it was a Saccharomyces strain, it would produce alcohol. Right. But apart from that, I really had no idea and was completely open-minded as to what I might end up with. And I think you have to approach experiments like that. You can't prejudge the results. Right. And and once you get to the results, is it something where you can say, and I, I'm not suggesting that you did this, but is it something where you could have said, okay, I like this, but I'd like it to be just a touch more this way and go back and tweak the yeast process? Or is it something where you're going to kind of get what you're going to get? I think there's a certain amount of tweaking would have been possible, but mm -hmm. you know you're talking very long time scales right. for this. And you know I, I realised that you know, in my opinion, to make good single malt scotch, you're looking at a minimum of seven to eight years of maturation right. before it's ready. So it's not like I can make a little tweak here and then have a product and then so test it so and know what you to, got. To a yeah. certain extent, so I had what I had. When did you find the yeast? How long ago was that? What's the time scale from the time uh, you the, found it? The, the time scale uh, was about 11 years ago, Ian, when we first found it. And, you know, I have to say it took me a couple of years of dabbling around with laboratory-style fermentations, <laughs> a little bit of trier work before we were ready to take it to the, the, the full scale. Wow. That's awesome. So 11 years to come up with uh, and, Alta. And the part, I think, of your job that, that fascinates me the most, uh, beyond what it would take to understand how this culture of yeast was going to develop and how this is going to work. The part that fascinates me the most is that at a certain point, you've got to taste this and say, okay, I think that, I'll pick a number, seven years from now, mm -hmm. this is going to be what we want. And then you put it in the cast and it starts aging. Well, to you, me, that that talent right there, that skill of being able to say, in this form, what I'm tasting is going to lead us to something we want seven years from now, 12 years from now. You're touching on a question that I have. So when you take a project like this and you start to age it, do you have an idea how long it's going to take? Or are you actually trying it year by year and seeing what it's doing? Or are you doing a little of both? There's a little bit of both there, Ian. And I have to say, when I originally set out, most of the real detailed analysis I did was on the new make spirit. Uh -huh. So comparing classic Glenmorangie new make to the new make made with the Saccharomyces diamath. And there was very distinctive differences in character there. And we did a lot of analysis by GC of the key volatile flavor congeners, you know, the alcohols, the aldehydes, the ketones, the fatty acid esters, all these things that give fruitiness and floral notes to the whiskey. Mm -hmm. So the difference was quite marked. And I thought, okay, I don't want to age this for too long because, you know, if I leave it in for 18 years, the chances are the influence of the wood would mask would the differences. Yeah. So to a certain extent, I had a feel, but n nothing more than that. And I was probably originally going to let it go for the full 10 years. But it's just a little bit shy of that, about a year or so. And the reason for that is, I have to say, that I was getting bored reading in the press. <laughs> but not, not, not just about that, but I was getting bored reading in the press of all the new so-called craft distillers in Scotland who were going mm -hmm. to do something so radically different and they were going to have wild yeast. And I thought, oh, yeah, boring. <laughs> Did that 10 years ago. So, Except so, nobody knew yeah, because yeah, they'd not been yeah. able to so, taste so it. So that, yeah. as much as anything, made me think, Right, okay, we better get uh, get on with this and bottle it. Wow. Well, and the patience you have to have from the start of a project to the end of a project, because you can't, well, I mean, 
technically, I guess you can make whiskey in a short amount of time, but it, you have to age it and you have to do yeah. all those things to make it that product. But so see, you, to me, that's part of what makes this whole mm-hmm. thing so special. Yeah. Because when you sit down, I mean, to me, whiskey is never about the way that it's consumed in the movies. It's never about walking up to the bar, they pour it for you, you slam it back, or you guzzle <laughs> for the bottle. I mean, it's not about that at all. It's about finding the moment, you know, when you're able to sit down and really appreciate and enjoy and let time just kind of slow down. It's something that's worth waiting for. It's about patience, if you will. And so that's why I think it's so perfect that this is the way that it that a really great spirit like this is created because that's how it's meant to be. You know what I mean? Uh, not to not to be too, you know, uh, too pie in the sky about it, but it it seems like that's the way it should be because that's the kind of spirit this is. I mean, the, 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 these sort of experiments, I've always got loads of them on the go at any one time. So I've got a pool of products, and we're never 100% sure if Spios is going to be launched or Bacalta or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's not until you get a, about a year out do you think, right, okay, next year's one's going to be this. So there's plenty more things bubbling away underneath the surface. So when you tasted it and said, okay, we could do it, like, was it was it what you had envisioned? Was it what you had, had it, hoped for? It, it was. Y- yes and no, Cruz, because the other thing I would say here is that I used American Oak X bourbon barrels as I do for original. Mm-hmm. But I actually used refill barrels because I didn't want too much influence of the wood coming so this would through. Be the second fill. Yeah, right. so, so, so original is like sixty percent first fill, forty percent second, and Alta is all third fill to try right. and maximise the difference. Because I, I, I thought I remember that you guys in your general production will only use the barrels twice. Correct. Is that right. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and so. In this case, you're trying to not get too much from the exactly, barrel, but, as opposed to yeah. some cases where you may be wanting more yeah. from the barrel. And you, if you imagine a triangle, and you've got the base of the triangle, that's the new make spirit. The difference is huge. And then as the years go on, it comes narrower and narrower, and you lose a little bit of the difference. Mm-hmm. So if I'd left this in for 20 years, for example, you probably wouldn't have picked up as much of the nuances of yeah. flavor coming directly right. from the yeast. It would have been more similar yeah. to the yeah. other product that had been aged yeah. for that. Of course, if I'd put time. it into a sherry cask, for example, I would just have lost everything. You would have it, basically had something that yeah. came out like something that had been something else that had been now, aged in cherry. Now yeah. these start from the same distillate. Yeah, completely. Uh, 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 so, which the, the only difference is the yeast. Ian. Yeah, so the yeast, Every, everything is the only else, is the and then same. and then you use yeah. that third fill barrel. Yeah. So you didn't. Well, the Glen Morangie is is a the, the original is a very delicate flavor. Yeah. Well, anyway, is, so yes, it is. In fact, it is the perfect. You know, when people express curiosity about. Um, single malt scotch. It is the perfect one to say. Here's where you should start. Mm-hmm. Right? Not not that it's necessarily a starter whiskey, because it's one that you are going to want to keep in your bar, like pretty much from now on. See, and that one flies off my shelf pretty fast. Yeah. But I'll almost always have a bottle of Lasanta because yeah. that's just that's one of my mm-hmm. absolute favorite expressions mm-hmm. from you guys. I mean, I mean it, at the price point and the flavor profile, everything about it. I mean, and that's one that when people ask me, "Hey, what should I try?" I don't really know much about scotch. I'm like. Yeah. Right here. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> it's a great introductory whiskey, but a lot of people, and myself included, 
have gone full circle in that, you know, I can drink anything in the range I sure. want. I can right. fill my bath up with Signet and dive in if I really want. <laughs> oh, wait, origi- wait, hold on. I'm just savoring that moment because that, that would be a thing. Let me tell you, that would be. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. So but it's not necessarily a vision you want to think about too much. But I, I drink more of the original because I just love its clean, elegant, easy drinking taste. And again, you know, I drink it neat. I have mm-hmm. it in a highball with soda. I sometimes add ginger mm-hmm. ale. You can do all sorts of but it's very versatile. I want to point this out to the audience. This is this is the man that creates this. It's not polluting the whiskey. It's drinking it the way you want it. That's right. Exactly. Oh, that's a really good. Really There's good point so many people that, that so just often. they just think, yeah. oh well, if you take something like this and you put water, or you put ice in it, you're just completely. Re- yeah. No, no, drink yeah. it how you want it. Yeah. As a matter of fact, water opens it up a little yeah. bit. Yeah. That's, so, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just I've just added water there. That's the way I like doing it. Like this, we call it releasing the serpent because mm-hmm. it opens up the bouquet a little bit. I love it. I love but, you know, it. Dan and I last night to 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 kick off with. Uh, we we had a, an old fashioned with original at the restaurant, and it was very mm-hmm. good. It was lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, really well made. Uh, all right, so you have uh, poured for us uh, both a bit of the original and a bit of the Alta. Uh, I'm supposing the best way to get a feel for the Alta is this sort of side by side, right? Exactly. That that's mm-hmm. it. this these whiskies, the private edition range. I like to think people are all going to compare them to the original. So they can see exactly what the difference is, whether it's a different barrel type or different barley variety like mm-hmm. in Toussale or, or different yeast here in, in Alta. So I'm just going to do the same. I'm going to add a couple of splashes of water to my Alta. Okay. okay. Hand that around a little bit. Thank you. And you know, with, with the original, you get that very, very classic Glenmorangie note. It's very, very clean. It's very fresh. It's got a kind of meadow freshness about it. Lovely that floral notes. Fruitiness right, right yeah. there. And sort of, fruitiness and, and just that touch of minerality. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that's yeah. right. That flinty minerality. And then when you go to the Alta, it's altogether more earthy, slightly more spicy. There's a, there's a uh, um, darker sweetness yeah. to oh, it. Oh, wow. Too. Definitely yeah. so. It, it, that's so interesting. Like almost a caramel kind yeah, of, yeah, kind of and toffee. See, toffee, curry, yeah, yeah, toffee. Yeah. That's, that's Had you better. not explained the process, I would have immediately be trying to attribute that to what it was aged yeah. in. Yeah, but no, yeah. no, this, I think this is genuinely the, the difference from the yeast. And I, I don't know if this is auto-suggestion or what, but if I'm having a pizza, I like to make pizza myself. I make my own passata, boil the tomatoes down, uh, make my own dough. And with the live yeast culture you add to that, I'm sure I can get a hint of that from from the bouquet of Alta. Mm. And again, if you try a sip, gents, of the, the original. Mm-hmm. And then go directly to yeah. a sip of the Alta? It's just so soft, so sweet, so smooth. You know, that lovely creamy, peachy mm-hmm. and vanilla type flavour. And then with the Alta, which is at slightly it's, higher proof. It's amazing. Yeah. I just, uh, to, again, to our audience, the, the Glenmorangie uh, 10 has almost no heat to it yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's unbelievable. Amazingly how smooth, smooth, isn't it? Is. Yeah. 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 It really and, is. And that's attributable to the quality of the American oak barrels yeah. we use. I mean, and it's absolutely what I'm looking for in it that lovely softness in the palate. Now, you do get a little more heat with the Alta, mm-hmm. as you were suggesting. It, it's a higher proof, correct? Right. 
That one's bottled at 51.2 yeah. versus 43 ABV. Mm -hmm. yeah. And again, the, the reason I did that was simply because this is the 10th anniversary release of the private edition series. So I wanted to give consumers a bit more oomph a for their money. money. <laughs> this, uh, this feels like it has a little bit oilier mouthfeel yeah, to it as well. Yeah. It's, it kind of spreads across yeah. the palate and has yeah. this really That's nice yeah. warmth. More viscosity to it. I want to <laughs> describe the that flavor that you get, not right at the beginning, but that flavor in the middle. I want to describe it as almost like a caramel but then it changes mm -hmm. and and then i don't have i'm like oh no it's not really caramel yeah. so it really yep. is one of those that makes you stop and say i'm gonna have to have another yeah. sip and mm -hmm. figure this out you know what i mean it, it makes me think of like a, a brand of popcorn we have and you call butter kists mm -hmm. toffee popcorn that's what this yes. reminds me a little bit of yes absolutely i Just, i, I kind of pick up like a little apricot uh -huh. in there as well it's really really interesting how intense and mm -hmm. complex this is and it, it, it makes me think of sort of like mandarin orange syrup that mm -hmm. type of thing mm -hmm. going on wow so it's not it's not radically different from the original and you know we, we, we wouldn't it, expect that but it is right. it's different enough to make it to justify bottling it so I see it's something I've always wanted to do to to live up to the 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 story of the great man Michael Jackson and we we actually um spoke to Michael's widow and his daughter to ask their permission to mention his name and they were highly delighted it's Oh they were that's so cool. It's a kind of homage to Michael. Wow, well I can tell you this is this is really unique. I, I'm not sure I've ever tasted any other expression um that quite has this vibe to it it's it's right. it's very unique there are there are so many things after you have been fortunate enough to do what we do and be able to taste a lot of different things there are so many things that you go well that's very similar to this i i may like it a little bit better or i may like the other a little bit better uh but it's very similar to this or that or that you kind of find those you know eight nine different sort of tastes that seem to sort of predominate a particular category. Uh, but this would definitely be number 11. Now, when we started, <laughs> when we started this show, uh, Cruz hadn't experienced as many scotches. That's true. Uh, and I so I started introducing much more him. And I, have, I, have a, I have a modest collection, but I started introducing him to some of my favorites. And, um, and once I got him through pretty much all the, the, the fruitier, more delicate ones, then I brought in the Arbeg. <laughs> Good plan. And I will say, it took me a while. Yeah. They took yeah. me a while. Here, uh, check this out. I, but I, I came around. I came around. And you know, it, it, speaking of Ardbeg there, if I tried this experiment at Ardbeg using its classic, very heavily peated malt, you know, you, you wouldn't have you picked wouldn't probably, the difference yeah, you, you at all. Been, this would have yeah. been too subtle for yeah. that. You, yes, you, right, you, right, have, right. you have to do some slightly more radical things at <laughs> well, Ardbeg. Yeah, it's so robust the, in the first place, <laughs> right. It, it, it truly is. But this is... so. I'm guessing that once you once you finally get to bottle this and take it out, this has to become your new favorite expression for at least the next year or so, I, right? I, I think it is because it's one of the, the funkiest experiments I've worked mm -hmm. on, and it's something very close to my heart. And we're not going to use the Saccharomyces diamath for all of our everyday production, sure. not least because the, the yield of alcohol is much lower. But for one week every year now, <clears throat> since we started this, we, I have been producing a batch of whiskey from the, the Saccharomyces diamath. Because of what's involved in you know developing this 
you strain and then and then you know doing this kind of production does this become a more expensive whiskey to produce oh yeah absolutely all all these private edition things mm-hmm. in, in fact i would go as far as to say i doubt some of them even made money for the company because they were so expensive but that's not the point but the point it's, is to sh- to continue yeah. to show yeah. what can be done yeah. and and to sort of uh continue to make people Kind of look yeah. at your name and go, yeah, those yeah. guys, you know, yeah. right? Right, uh, exactly. Uh, and it's an interesting approach. I'm not sure that American businesses always look at that the same way. And and I'm you can't certainly speak for everyone, but I think there's I, it I think takes there's, a business with a long history to yeah. be able to do that, right? Right, yeah. and I to be able to right. stick by that. I want to point yeah. out, I actually put a few more drops in this uh, altered, a few more drops of water, and now it's. Like the the aroma has changed to yeah. to butter and and a bunch mm. of different uh, things that I'm picking up. It's pretty amazing how it evolves. Yeah. Just adds that's, a, that's a very good description. Butter, that's butter. One yeah. of the things I love, like in a sing- great way, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, but, the original mm. is one of the has got more of a buttery characteristic yeah. to it than I think any single malt that I can think of off the top of my head. At least it's just a very smooth and and that butteriness being sort of the first thing that hits the top you know it's it's interesting too because we talked about the viscosity of this so i've added water twice now and um you'd think it would thin that out a little bit but it really doesn't however it does spread across the the palate much faster and of course the alta is non-chill filtered so there always should be a little bit more viscosity in there as a result of that Well, well bill did you see the explosion in whiskey and distilled spirits coming that we have you know witnessed over the past five to ten years I, I have to be honest and say no I did not envisage that at all and the fact that you know American whiskey Japanese whiskey all these other types are becoming very popular mm-hmm. is a great thing for the mm-hmm. whole category I think you know it is if, too, if, yeah. if you'd asked me 30 years ago when I started out on my career if I envisaged this I would have said absolutely not so it's a very exciting time it really and in the position that you're in, though, you've also got to anticipate this to some degree because you've got to keep up with demand for all of your yeah. expressions, right? Yeah. And it's quite a sobering thought that, you know, I, I'm a very youthful 58 years old, <laughs> so I'm not planning on retiring anytime soon. But a lot of the things I'm starting off today. I sit back and think, you know, I'll be gone before they see the light of day. But, yeah. but you know, it's, it's kind of, I want to leave a legacy for, you know, the next generation. And, you know, a gentleman in my team, Brendan, who Dan and Rennie you know, he will eventually succeed me mm-hmm. when I finally, I've, I've told him not to be impatient because I'm not going anywhere soon. But, you know, <laughs> I want to leave down some nice nuggets for him to bring out Seems as well. like a job worth waiting for. <laughs> With all of your expressions, how many bottles does Glenmorangie produce in a year? Okay, uh, the the brand itself uh, sells round about 650,000 nine-litre cases. Mm -hmm. So that's, say, 650,000 times 12, whatever that is. I'm hopeless at maths. (laughs) That's a lot. (laughs) But, but, you know, of that total, the private edition range is less than 1%. So it's a very small part of it. And they become quite collectible. Right, right. And is there a chance that the private edition stuff becomes more limited? In other words, is Alta going to be 
around for a good while, or is this something oh, no, like no, grab I, it while you can? I, absolutely not. This is a one-off. A one-off, uh, okay. And by the very nature of these experiments, they'll never be done uh, again. And we are selling it to our consumers on mm-hmm. the basis that this is a one-off, so it would be dishonest for me to do it again. Right. So right. I'm not just saying this to try and sell it. You grab a bottle while you can, because it will not appear again. So when something like a La Santa or a Quinto Raban mm-hmm. comes along, mm-hmm. what makes you decide that that one's going to be a more permanent addition to the line? Um, there's no hard and fast answer to that, Cruz. It just really depends on. I mean, we trial it and see how successful it is, and then if people like it, and we have the capability of producing it in larger volumes, and by that I mean if you've got access to a steady supply of quality sherry cask, Mm -hmm. then there's a chance it can become part of the core range. And I've got a figure, by the way, that finding quality casks of all kinds has got to be something that's getting harder and harder, particularly for... The Scottish distilleries, even yeah. though there's more American bourbon being made yeah. all the time, and obviously that's the most popular, I guess, yeah. of the of the cask. Uh, it's got to be getting harder and harder to yeah. find the ones that you want and get them there. Yeah. It's it's very important to set up a a, sta- a good relationship with your supplier. Mm-hmm. And you know, most of my wood suppliers, whether it's for, for American oak ex bourbon barrels or sherry casks or port casks, I've had these relationships for. 25 years or so. But yeah, it's something you have to take into consideration. Wow. So any idea? I realize you're just getting this out there, but any idea what might be next? Yeah, the next I, Private I, Express? I, I can say, this, this is Private Edition 10, mm-hmm. so I can say with some certainty that the next one will be Private Edition 11. <laughs> <laughs> I would never have guessed that. You know, no. it's on, it's you on this show. heard it here first, folks. Yeah. It's on this show that you hear those real breakthrough things that you're not going to hear everywhere else. So, uh, now, just, this, Chris this... Hart, I'm talking to you. He ain't talking about 11 when it comes on your show. I'm just saying. <laughs> Is this is this a once a year uh, at a regular? Yeah, the the, the, the idea is that the start of each year we'll release something like this. So uh, probably next February March time. You know, I, I, I'm I'm fooling around with here. I I do know what private oh, edition I, eleven is I going felt to sure be. That you did. Yes, I, I'm, I'm going more back into wood expertise for that one. Oh, interesting. Rather than okay. but, well, apart that, from that, that but I un- <laughs> I understand and uh, and but that's but that's interesting and that's got to be. I would guess the fun part of your job, right? It's, yeah, the, the the whole thing I do is absolutely marvelous, and I don't I don't even look upon it as a job. Yeah, you know, it's more it's a passion. I'm just so fortunate to be able to work in something I love like this. Well, you are doing an amazing job. The Alta is terrific, and I'm just uh, I'm excited to be able to spend a little more time with this. Try it with just a little more water. I mean, just that's one of the most beautiful things about these kind of expressions is that they can change so much from your first sip to, you know, adding water or maybe trying it over a cube of ice, you know, seeing seeing what that would do to it. So um, very, very impressive. And uh, I'm so glad you get to 
uh, come and spend a little time with us here in the States to uh, to tell us all well, about gents, it. Gents, thank you very much. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to come. It's been a, a, a fun little tasting afternoon. Well, you are absolutely always welcome on the show. And Dan, thanks for uh, thanks so much for setting this up. Oh, not and a problem. We got to you know we got to talk about what's next because we have some uh, we have some big big and exciting things uh, coming in the future that we want you to be a part of. Fantastic. So, um, wow, I am so uh, thrilled, uh, Bill, that you were, were able to come and share this with us, and it's always wonderful to have someone with a um, you know with a very elegant scottish accent on the show because it uh, uh you know it just it just feels like it takes us up in the class area you know what i mean makes the show more classy and you know y'all are from around here are y'all? exactly <laughs> so so that combined with our uh you know ultra high-end sound effects i mean this was a really uh, right. really important show so uh thank you for joining us for this uh, special edition of uh, smoking and toast and this one will be posted right in between the normal shows it just won't be one of the numbered shows and we'll be back with uh, number 126 on thursday when by the way peter clifton uh from the ready room and from uh, ritual will join us to do valentine's day cocktails That's on nice. the valentine's, on day, valentine's show. day show yeah, so we'll be we're really excited about that in the meantime let me show you the alta again because you're going to want to find this quickly when it hits your shelves because i'm getting the impression we don't expect this to be around for too long no, right it won't it'll sell out all right, so there you go. Glenn Morangy, what a wonderful brand, and uh, we just appreciate you guys being on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's Smoking and Toasting, and guys, I'm going to toast with the Alta, if you would. Yeah. Cheers. Bye.